Comments made on the Ceratalk Podcast Network are those of the individuals and do not represent Ceratech Corporation, its staff, management, board of directors, or third-party resellers. Welcome, everyone, back to an EOL Extra. Hey, everyone, it's Ranger1138, and I'm back with Mr. Byron27, and we're here to talk about Series 7B of Doctor Who. Doctor what? I've never heard of this show. What are you talking about? It's this little show that's been around for 49 and a couple of months. Uh, 49 years and a couple of months, you know, it's one to grow on. It's, uh, it's in sort of popular, I think. It's, good Lord, is it getting popular in America? It is so nice to be able to make jokes about fixed points in time in a room and people get it instead of you, you make that joke and people are like, uh, what, what, what is he talking about? I, I don't understand. No, there are so many closet Whovians out there. It's awesome. And it's even weirder to be able to see people with sonic screwdriver apps on their, on their mobiles. <laughs> yeah. Guilty as charged. Um, yeah, I've seen a <laughs> lot of people both. on Twitter. I've seen people on Facebook that I thought were just normal, you know, run of the mill people. And you, you see something about the most recent Doctor Who episode on their timeline. And I'm just like, whoa, okay, this show is really breaching the gap between geek and, you know, everyday person. It's, it's kind of getting in there. Yeah, it's a good time to be a, a geek between Avengers being like the number two movie of all time and, and Iron Man 3 and Star Trek at the time that we record this out and about and makes you feel good that you don't have to go to Fast and the Furious in order to like fit in with people, you know, it's like, muscle car movies, ah, things blow up, ah. Now it's Transformers, you know, people, things blow up in their muscle cars. Anyway, that's not what we're here to talk about. We're going to talk about uh, where we left off. In our previous EOL Extra uh, was Series 7A, and at that time, we were going to just, you know, worry about and consider what was going to happen with the snowman. And now, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, the very first look at the Doctor Who Christmas trailer, which is, of course, the very first episode to feature Miss Jenna Louise Coleman. <coughs> Second. Oh, yeah, yeah, because you were in the Dalek one, weren't you? Yep. Playing a different character. Yep, totally different character. We died. Yep. I, I got did. turned into a Dalek. Ouch. <laughs> yeah. So you couldn't be the same character at Christmas. That would be just impossible. No way. Rather trailer. There's a man called the Doctor. He lives on a cloud in the sky, and all he does all day, every day, is to stop all the children in the world ever having bad dreams. Am I going to have the nightmare tonight? When you find something brand new in the world, something you've never seen before, what's the next thing you look for? Doctor! A grenade! The doctor doesn't help people. What's your name? Clara. What is this? I said I'd feed you. I didn't say who to. Listen to me, the snow's feeding off your thoughts. It will build an army of ice, and it will be the last day of humanity on this planet. So the Christmas special came and went, and it was much better than the the Doctor, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, or whatever the hell that thing was called uh, the previous year, which the only good thing about that is they mentioned the word Androzani, and it's the only part I woke up during the episode. Uh, there were no trees, uh, or walking trees, or talking trees, so this was already kind of sort of good, but we had walkin' talkin' snow. Yeah, I thought it was going to be sort of one of those hokey episodes at first. You know, you see the robotic Santas playing the trumpet and then flames, you know, fly out and you go, oh, 
Oh, oh God. There's a dancing Christmas tree. Oh, good. We're in for some fun now. Killer Christmas tree. But no, we didn't have anything like that. These snowmen were actually kind of sinister. Yeah. And Richard E. Grant, who, oh, by the way, just in case you didn't catch this, this is going to be spoiler filled. <clears throat> we're talking about plots and, and, and ideas, and we're going to even take a couple of stabs at the 50th uh, in part two of these uh, EOL extras. So just in case I didn't say it at the front, I'll say it again. Spoilers to quote River Song. Not necessarily in that voice. Anyway, yeah, Richard E. Grant, Scream of the Shaka, uh, jumps right out at you and uh, plays a classic Who villain, although some people might not be familiar with The Great Intelligence, but if you are a big fan of Patrick Troughton, you would be. Fantastic. Uh, the sets were amazing. Clara was, oh golly. I'm going to get this out of the way too, uh, so I don't have to say it throughout all the podcasts. Jenna Louise Coleman, super hot in uh, Victorian clothing. Never thought I'd ever say those words in a sentence before, but definitely a lot to be seen here. And of course we've got the new time team of, uh, Strax and our lovely other two companions, Jenny and Madame Vostra. Yeah. I, I really like this group of people that are in a period of time that are sort of the doctor's support system and, uh, the, the rapport between the three of them is just funny to watch. And just mesmerizing visuals like the TARDIS in the cloud. The scenes out on the frozen lake, there were just some parts that are just gorgeous. And in fact, all of, uh, you know, they were, weren't kidding when they said that series seven was going to look like movies. They were right. There are, there are very few parts of series seven that didn't look very cinematic. Oh, definitely. There are some complaints that I have about season seven and uh, Moffat's run and, and Doctor Who in general. Don't get me wrong. I'm not a Moffat hater. I, I think he did some excellent episodes, especially when he has a writing credit. In, in Davies' era of Doctor Who, the whole thing was doing what's right, you know, sort of discovering something about yourself and uh, moving forward. And the Doctor in the beginning of season seven is in a funk and he's just done saving the world. He's off sulking and it was kind of a different kind of beginning. I like the Dark Doctor. I, I, I don't mind that with Sylvester McCoy. I certainly didn't mind it with um, Colin Baker. I, I don't mind the darker side of Tom Baker. The, you know, it's a character that has to wrestle a lot of demons and he puts on a good brave face, but at times he really has to sort of, you know, give in to, to all these things that are going around in his head. And certainly in the snowman, that's exactly what he's, he's dealing with. In fact, later in the series, he refers to it as the dark times and that Vostra and Strax and Jenny helped him through that. And I love that. And, and that's probably one of those moments where I could have an entire big finish series on just the dark times and I would, I would adore that. Um, but it's not always fun viewing, especially for the casual viewer. And the snowman is one of those that, that is great for the casual viewer. If you're not too far in, um, you can kind of sort of pick up. In fact, you could watch asylum of the dialects and then go right to this. And the only thing you really needed to know is that the ponds are no longer traveling with the doctor because there are, there are, you know, some connections between those. At this point, though, when, when Clara passes away, you know, you're like, okay, wh what was that all about? Wait a minute. She's died twice. She's the impossible girl. How is this possible? And you can see how this really just tasks the doctor. If he can't explain it, it really just drives him crazy. 
So overall, I really like this one. It's one of the better Christmas specials. I agree with Byron on that. I think it's uh, definitely one that I can rewatch, even if it's not Christmas, which is, I think, one of the only ones that I can sort of really also do that with is Waters of Mars. I don't know why, but I actually will stop in my tracks and, and watch parts of Waters of Mars. Again, we're back to my fixation with the Dark Doctor. But that was what happened at Christmas, and we had to go a really long time before we moved on to the Bells of St. John. Clara Oswald. Who are you? Why are you here? Because we miss people we can have a target right now. What is that thing? There's something living in the Wi-Fi, harvesting human minds. He's here. You and me inside that box now. I'm sorry. The people of this world will not be controlled. So enough time had passed and you weren't really sure where to begin here as to where the time was, where, where was the doctor in his timeline? Here's another version of Clara, uh, watching some more children. There seems to be a reoccurring theme there too. Uh, there always seems to be themes of dreams with Clara as well as what I've noticed. There's always sleep and dreams. And I thought that's been very interesting. In fact, you can actually go back and sort of count the number of times sleep has been mentioned or that she's waken up from uh, something as later in the Crimson Horror. This story begins with the doctor communing as a monk <laughs> and is also still trying to deal with some of these issues uh, when uh, he encounters Clara reaching out to find out some technical support for some Wi-Fi issues she might be having. Boy, does that feel very familiar working in, in, a, in an IT environment. Um, what did you think of the plot of this one? It was definitely one of my, well, first of all, I had been jonesing for some Doctor Who, and you'd mentioned the ponds earlier, and it feels like the ponds were just so long ago uh, because of the way they're splitting up the seasons. Uh, yeah. But there was a really obvious j joke that I really didn't catch, and I had to ask fellow geek Dwayne, who watches Doctor Who with me quite a bit, what was the thing with the bells of St. John? Why would the church bells be ringing you know, to signify that Clara is calling his... He goes, hello, duh, the bells of St. John are not the church bells that are going off. It's the bells in the freaking police box that are making the phone ring. And then mm -hmm. I went, wait a minute, I, I got to stop and ask you a question here. If the phone on the TARDIS is not supposed to ring and he was all confused as to why is that phone in my police box ringing? I don't really understand. <laughs> then why did he tell the monks to listen for the bells of St. John? That kind of confused me a little bit, but <laughs> whatever. <laughs> it's the second time Moffat's done that because um, the empty child and the doctor dances, which is a Stephen mm -hmm. Moffat. The remember Christopher, <laughs> Christopher Eccleston picks up the phone of the TARDIS. Are you and my mommy? It, yeah, yeah, exactly. So there were some kind of, well, Moffat does actually use tropes kind of over and over again. Uh, eyes, teeth, you know, certain things about eyes and teeth, teeth with eyes. <laughs> Those are things that I guess just freak him out because they show up a lot. And children, apparently, because Doctor Who really is not made for men in their 40s. It really is meant for younger audiences or families. So having children in an episode uh, seems to be a normal place, certainly more in Series 7B than in others. I do like, though, that there was the kind of, there was the Amy uh, book in the background. The, uh, the doctor carries Amy's glasses. 
you know, he's still honoring the pawns in his own way and he's still, you know, not over them. I don't know if he ever will be in this incarnation because they were so integral to who he was. There are some really beautiful shots of London here. I've always wanted to go to London, but man, this really kind of sort of sold me even more on it. We got to see a motorcycle. The doctor riding a motorcycle reminds me of a couple of episodes when you go back to uh, the Piper and Tenant era or uh, even the eighth doctor riding on a motorcycle. So uh, kind of a wink and a nod there. In fact, there are little winks and nods to previous doctors in almost every episode of series seven, Mm -hmm. but even more so in seven B as we run up to the 50th, the great intelligence, once again, really, really great here. Just visually stunning. I really just enjoyed this episode and it moves at a pretty fair clip. And again, leaves us in a position of wondering how did this happen? Because somehow this is how Clara or Oswin got to find out how to use all that computer stuff that she later then demonstrates in Asylum of the Daleks. Yeah, and you were talking earlier about uh, the Doctor and his affinity for for vehicles in general, and it just, you know, for some reason took me back to John Pertwee and his car that he ah, <laughs> that he had. You know, yep. I'm just imagining how do you get these vehicles out of the TARDIS? You know, how do you fit them through the doors? Do you have like a garage out back somewhere? Secret door, chameleon circuit, wibbly wobbly, yeah, timey exactly. wimey, <laughs> plot holy, you know, whatever. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, warning, this is a plot complication. Warning, complication, this is a plot yes. complication. <laughs> but you were also mentioning wanting to go to London someday. And uh, there are times where I watch things like The Simpsons Go to London, and I'm just keeping my eyes peeled for a TARDIS, and it never shows up, you know? it's <laughs> No, but, but isn't that also the episode, though? No, when Homer gets taken away to the island, and there's that whole thing where uh, he's in the uh, number six jacket, and he's chased by Rover. Oh, uh, God, there's a yeah. Whole prisoner reference in that episode that I adore. Uh, that is just fantastic. <laughs> well, even though we're not here to talk about The Simpsons, if you do watch The, or the Simpsons prisoner. Um, or The Prisoner, yeah, there's yeah. all kinds of great gags in there. Sometimes they're, they're visual, but, uh, you know, there's all kinds of references back to other shows and things. So it's certainly worth keeping an eye out for those. Absolutely. So uh, we, I guess we can say that this was a good episode. We both enjoyed it. It was very, very fun. Yeah, For me, it has some rewatch definitely. value. Even now, knowing how I feel about the ending of Series 7, it's still fun to watch. I can rewatch that one. But the one after this was very divisive amongst the fan community. Yes, I'm talking about the Rings of Akatan. <laughs> So we're moving through actual time. Where do you want to go? What do you want to see? Something awesome. Have you seen her? Who? The Queen of Years. I'm Marie Galel. I'm the vessel of our history. I'm really scared. There's one thing you need to know about traveling with me. We don't walk away. So Radio Free Scarrow had one of my very favorite titles they've ever had in their 360-something episodes at the time of this recording, uh, The Borings of Akaton, which I thought was just <laughs> funny on a, on a whole number of levels. I don't mind this episode. And to briefly sum up, let me hit some high points. Little girl singing, mummies, vampires, motorcycle in space, somehow they're breathing, a leaf, the doctor doing another fantastic speech and an extremely weird ending 
that is kind of hard to summarize. So with <laughs> all of that said, the first 15 minutes of this episode are entrancing to me because it's the doctor taking a companion out and you often hear these things in lines of dialogue or offset, you know, like we went to space, Florida and you go, Oh, I want to go to space, Florida. You know, you never get to have fun with the companion because we have to get right into whatever the plot is. And I like the first 15 minutes of this because it felt very much like an eighth doctor, you know, going out with his companion, like it was Charlie or, or, or Lucy. And it was, you know, you experience the world with these two, you know, and yeah, there's some silliness. There's some Star Wars cantina ish type stuff here and, you know, growling back and forth and blah, blah. But I, I really enjoyed that. In fact, I kind of guiltily wish this was a four parter because you would have like 30 minutes of just them learning the world and experiencing the world and him showing her what he knows. And I really enjoy that about the doctor, but it changes later on. What do you, what do you think before I go off? I have on to a agree here? with you. Yeah. Tangents. Uh, that never happens. Um, <laughs> I have Not to on say, this I show. Agree. no, never. I agree with you completely on just sort of exploring the relationship between the doctor and his companion, exploring the places that they go to and exploring the TARDIS in itself. And I kind of like those slow minutes in the big finish audio series where they're just in the TARDIS and they're, they're traveling somewhere or they're, you know, sort of spending some time just in the TARDIS. So the, like, like you said, the beginning of this episode was very entrancing to me as well, because it's like, cool, we're just experiencing things and it's not running from evil things yet. Um, <laughs> and it yeah, doesn't have yeah, to be no, this They'll be running down reveal, corridors at you some know. point. You, you knew that was coming. It was just. I wonder how fast they go through shoes in the TARDIS. I mean, they probably have a <laughs> shoe store yes. somewhere right next That's to the pool. That's a part pool, of the wardrobe. You know? Yeah. Or, or it's the locker. organic area where you could just make anything you want. So you'll just make shoes. Yeah, exactly. The shoe room. <laughs> Correct. Yeah. Also known as Payless, but <laughs> it's like, I, know, I dated, dated myself there, dated myself. The TARDIS mall. <laughs> <laughs> it probably is. It's down from the swimming port in squash court seven. The a story goes in a different direction though. After we learn about the little girl and uh, Clara has a, you know, good conversation with her and you learn a little bit more about it. I don't even get bored at the, uh, Eurovision American Idol sing along that doesn't bother me. And I'm even okay to the point of what the hell is the deal about holding up the door and the Raiders of the Lost Ark moment, you know, where he reaches in under the door and grabs his stuff. In fact, there's a lot of Indiana Jones references in uh, series seven. Where I just start to get bored with this is from the minute that we have to start explaining the vampire and what it's about and the girl and, oh no, there's this song I just haven't told you about that would get us out of here that opens up a secret door. And it's from that moment on, I start to fall away from this episode and I fall away from it very quickly. Yeah, the the reveal that the monster that they were battling uh, was just the thing keeping the bigger monster <laughs> at bay. Yes. It's like, oh, <laughs> God, it's the guard dog in front of the, you know, the bigger thing. And it's just, yeah. The giant brain from Futurama. <laughs> the planet parasite, you know? It's, yeah. The only redeeming part of this episode from that point is the doctor's speech and his willingness to give his life if necessary. And he pretty much 
is freaking out and then gives this wonderful speech about all the things that he's done. He's facing up to things. He's accepting things. And that has ramifications later in the series. It's another moment of, you know, geek-tastic 50th anniversary fun because there's some famous names that are go flying by. The thing is just for naught. You know, you don't really completely remember that she has a book. You don't directly pull in with the leaf. It just feels very, very weird. It has some rewatch value now because if you actually made it to the end of series seven, watching rings will actually put some pieces in together because you go, oh, okay, those are points that actually are, are are brought up again later. But man, is that, it's one of the few times I can ever say that I could fast forward through parts of a Who episode. And I, I don't say that about many except fear her. <laughs> that yeah. that has no rewatch value for me at all. I just I can't watch Fear Her. I, I I love Love and Monsters. I can do Love and Monsters, but not Fear Her. Oh God! Yeah, let's watch the Doctor playing uh, cricket and doing strange things during his downtime that are just plain old normal. This this could be this could be a documentary about the actor, you know. It's just, uh, but you're talking about this season in certain areas not really having a oh duh moment, you know, like we watched. Christopher Eccleston and uh, Billy Piper and the whole bad wolf thing coming together. And you're like, Oh, Oh my God. You know? And then you watch this thing, uh, this season and they kind of try to do the same thing again. We're kind of jumping ahead here, but I never had that. Oh, now can I? Yeah. Yeah. It just, it just wasn't that whole huge reveal for me. So a series um, arc that was hidden amongst standalone episodes, which was the whole thing. Because remember people felt like series six was too confusing. And that mm-hmm. the arc was too much for them, that there was too much, you know, it required too much bulk viewing or rewatching to be able to totally get everything from Impossible Astronaut. So they went in the opposite direction this year. Mm-hmm. Well, I think we're in agreement here. This wasn't the greatest episode. There were some great fan debates on this. Doctor Who podcast was was very much of the same mind here. Uh, radio free to some respect and uh, two minute time Lord went in a different direction. So uh, I love listening to chips commentary because sometimes he pulls nuggets out of the air that I never, ever would have thought about. Same with Tom over at Dr. Who podcast. Um, but I, I just, I, I know I just can't, you know, it's, I don't know. It feels like a cold war. This is a soldier. That is a monster. I am Skardak. Is he that dangerous? This one is. He's got nothing left to lose. Lara, get out of there. Get out. Now, this is a base under siege story. Straight up. This is just every base under siege story kind of wrapped into one. You've got an amazing guest cast. You've got David Warner, who is, is I watch everything with that that has him in it. You know, huge fan, Tron, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. I could just go on and on and on about David Warner. And of course, he actually played the Doctor in uh, the Doctor Who Unbounds on Big Finish. Definitely worth a listen. He was kind of a last minute cast from what I understand as well. He, he, he was kind of sort of available. They needed someone to fill that role. And he, uh, he does a very admirable job with not a whole lot there. There's some great Clara moments, but that isn't really what this is about. This is about the return of the ice warriors. It's a lovely time, right? 
Nuclear war could happen at any time, so where should the TARDIS drop the Doctor on a nuclear submarine with warheads and right there where the Russians are already on the trigger finger? Uh, there's some Red October moments here. There are certainly, again, some moments of Die Hard, but man, it I just really, really like the take on the Ice Warriors here. I know some people don't like that this isn't uh, more of the traditional Troughton-esque ice warrior or that, you know, the spindly fingers, you know, especially when you get outside the suit. But I, I didn't care. I really didn't. I thought this really worked on all levels for me. It was shot gorgeous. Oh my gosh. For the look, it is really, really well. And we got the return of the Hads. I knew exactly what it, when the, when the TARDIS disappeared, the person that was sitting with me didn't understand because I shouted out, oh my gosh, the Hads. <laughs> so, and then went on to explain what Hads was, uh, hostile action displacement system. Anyway, <clears throat> so I love this one. I just, this is probably one of my favorites of series seven as a whole. Yeah, I'd have to agree with you on that one. And there were, the one thing I have to say is that I knew what was coming every time something happened. I knew that when they were digging in the ice, and they were trying to get this relic out. I'm like, ah, ooh, ooh, it's going to be an Ice Warriors episode. I know what this is. And then, you know, I thought, uh, it, it didn't catch on with my friend Dwayne right off the bat because they were speaking in a British accent. I said, I bet you these are Germans. <laughs> or Germans, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Russians, <laughs> Russians, right, right, right. But, they, yeah. but you know, once again, uh, that's the, you know, TARDIS uh, uh, translation mm-hmm. circuit, the matrix that are working there for you, so... Can you imagine a German submarine with the polka music? And the- <laughs> <laughs> well, but you know, you're watching a story about a guy who's in a box with uh, bigger on the inside than the outside that's traveling through t- space and time. If you can suspend your disbelief just for that concept, then a translation circuit should not even. Okay, fine. You know, it's it's better than any techno babble on track. Let me put it that way. I can deal with that. I again just. Really like this one. I thought it was just, like you said, it was by the numbers. But this was one of the few episodes that had so much hype going in that I thought it met all my expectations. I was happy with it. I was I was a geek in heaven, and this just worked. And it was one of the few that lived up to the hype in my mind. Yep, I, I would have to agree with you on that one. Definitely, uh, you know, like you said, the rewatch value of some of these episodes. It's one of those you could just... You could just drop into that particular episode and enjoy it for what it is. Yeah. There's very few arc moments. I mean, there's some conversation there when um, David Warner is asking Clara about herself and you get a little bit more of the companion feel. And some of that has a little bit of a, a echo forward, but not a whole lot. But definitely, mm-hmm. it didn't make me want to go run and hide. I'm talking to the spirit that inhabits this house. Spooky. You didn't come here for the ghost, did you? Clara. What a shame. Do you feel like you're being watched? You're coming. What? To find the ghost. Doctor! Calabangast. The maiden in the dark. The witch of the well. She's coming. I think she's here. This was a very divisive one against fans. Again, I actually ended up agreeing with uh, Chip at Two Minute Time Lord on this one. I felt a little uh, a little bit more of the Hinchcliffe-y kind of feel. 
I kind of like the way this was shot once again. Lots of reds, lots of darkness, um, great companion, back and forth interaction. The TARDIS and Clara and, you know, why the TARDIS is not a big fan of her. You, you start to kind of sort of get a feel for that. I guess the only thing that really kind of sort of jumps out at me here is uh, you kind of have to sort of get the idea of the time that's being discussed because this is, you know, post-war and there's still a little bit of men don't talk to women and don't necessarily declare their intentions and older man, younger woman. So there's a little bit of, you know, social issues that are going on there. They they do explain that a little bit, but the poltergeistish, you know, open up the portal, reach out to a lady who's trapped in time, who's a time traveler. And uh, then there's a little bit of a love story beyond the initial love story as well. For me, this, episode has two key moments. And, um, the first one I would say is Clara and the doctor going back and forth in time while he's in, um, his orange suit taking pictures. And there's a wonderful exchange, probably the best part of the episode where Clara realizes in just a span of a couple of you know minutes to hours that she's seen the birth and death of the universe. And the huge, as we were joking pre-show, Imperial Vortex moment from Hitchhiker's Guide of this is the expansion of the universe and all its majesty. And you are here as this little, little itty bitty dot is pretty awesome. (laughs) Yeah, it was pretty immense. You know, I was a little concerned about the beginning of this episode because the ones where they're dealing with the supernatural, you know, ghosts and things like that. Not a, not a big fan of the paranormal type of uh, story arc. And so I'm thinking, oh, man, I, I, can't, I can't deal with things like ghost hunters. I can't deal with you know, the doctor dealing with ghosts. But in most cases, when the doctor is dealing with what is supposed to be a ghost or, or, or an apparition or whatever, it's usually some other explanation. And uh, so I really liked how, first of all, the, the scientific equipment being used to try and figure out what this ghost thing was, you know, this old antiquated equipment that they were using to find the ghost. And then when it's revealed that it's not a ghost, but in fact, it is a woman who is trapped in time and she's moving very slowly through our timeline and she's in a bubble universe and it's not a ghost and she has to rescue her and all this, uh, getting this psychic woman to uh, well, this woman with with immense powers to see the unseeable opening up this portal to get this woman out and uh, it just sort of tied up itself nicely i thought but i wonder what you're thinking is on all that so the second part of this is his conversation with the medium at the end right who is she because really that's probably the reason why he went there in the first place i mean this this whole other adventure mm-hmm. just kind of sort of happened but he was really trying to find out more information about who is Clara and why is this happening? And that was kind of, again, back to the dark doctor, you know, he had an agenda. He was trying to find this out and he still went and did something really, really cool, but he, he really wanted to know why all of this was happening and who she was. And it really is a testament to Matt Smith, who is, one of my favorite doctors. He is just, he embodies the character so well and he can turn on a dime and just give you these amazing moves from happy to sad or darkness or just for lost and forlorn. And his admitting, I mean, yeah, you saw it in the trailers, but his scene where he admitted that he was afraid still gets me. I mean, he, he's just very good at conveying fear 
with his character. So for me, I like this episode. There is a little bit of rewatch value, not as much for me as it usually is, but I've, I've also seen it like two or three times. So there isn't a lot of arc stuff here beyond him trying to find out more. And of course the TARDIS kind of <laughs> not liking Clara. Yeah. And you see a little bit of all of the doctors and Matt Smith. I mean, I, I stated earlier that I kind of, I'm not a huge fan of the dark doctor, but you're right. The doctor does have a lot of turmoil. He's lived many years, lost a lot of friends, been through hell and back, and he still manages to, you know, joke around. And the fact that you see, you know, the grumpy old man that the doctor was as, um, as John back to William Hartnell. Or William Hartnell, yeah. You, you see the the grumpy uh, grandpa. You see the the sort of nonsensical, uh, you know, Tom Baker and the aloofness of Tom Baker. You've got you know bits of John of uh, David Tennant in there. You know, it's just oh yeah, uh, Matt Smith. Like you said, he really embodies the Doctor very well. There's been a lot of conversation actually about whether some of these were interchangeable with say Tennant, right? And mm-hmm. I guess yeah. you could sort of say. Cold War, you could see David Tennant in that episode. I don't think he would pull it off as well uh, mm-hmm. in, in that his doctor sometimes didn't work well under base under siege. Hyde is one where you could easily just see, I don't know, Donna and, and the doctor. I mean, that, that just, that felt like a Dr. Donna story. Yeah, it did. Yeah. So there are some people, because sometimes when Win Smith is going to give you a rapid fire thing about what this, you know, why doctor, what doctor, who doctor, you know, he, he can do the tenant ish way of just boom there. That's what it was, you know, or he'll make a flippant remark and some people will, will draw the comparison there. But to me, sometimes tenant was more manic and there is a reserve sometimes with Matt that I just like a little better. And, uh, the women who I know in life tend to like, um, tenant visually so i've been told (laughs) fine you know i've heard comments about matt's hair and matt's head and all of that and you know these are the same women that complain about the differences between the winchester brothers so i'm not and not as shallow although i have admitted already in this particular episode that i really like looking at jenna louise coleman uh with that said (laughs) you know i'm gonna come right out and say it on this podcast i am not a fan of billy piper anyway (laughs) it's just but I'm a, I'm a weird person. Uh, we have so much more to talk about, but it's not going to be in this episode. No, we've got to cover a couple more episodes and our thoughts on the 50th, but it's going to be in a couple of weeks time because we're going to actually put this episode into stasis right now and come around through the matrix in another episode in part two of our look back at series seven B. Any final closing thoughts on this episode, Mr. Byron? Two, two, it's ponderous, man. Freaking ponderous. (laughs) Well, there's that. We'll get into my opinion on the companion uh, in part two as well, because I have some questions for you about her depth of character, if you will. So we'll we'll get into that one in the next episode. Uh Oh, depth of character, like in a river or a pond. Oh, 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 but I'm bumped. Yeah, that's why we're going to stop this episode right now, because I'm just liable to say more stupid things like that. Go home, Ranger. You're drunk. (laughs) (laughs) Not yet. No, might need to be before the end of this, because the next episode we're going to talk about. Anyway, uh, we'd love to hear what you have to say about these episodes. Always, you can leave us a comment over at EOLshow.com. Knock us around on Twitter, twitter.com slash EOLshow.com. 
You can leave us an eye report right there on iBlink Radio in Android or iOS. Write us at resources at serotalk.com. That's resources at S-E-R-O-T-A-L-K.com. Or you can find me personally on Twitter. I'm at Ranger Station, all one word. Where can they find you and all the stuff you do, Mr. Byron? Well, they can find me on, on Twitter at Byron27. And you can find my radio shows and all my other escapades on www.byronlee.com. Thank you so much for listening, and we will see you in just a few weeks' time with Part 2 of Series 7B.